Hey, welcome this morning to worship again with Garfield Memorial Church. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Scott Blevins, part of the teaching team, also the uh, chief missional director for Micro Church. I, I love those guys, Cello and Javier. Um, I eat there about once a week. Uh, it's just down the hill from our South Euclid campus. You ever get a chance to eat there? Um, they're primarily breakfast and lunch. They are also open for dinner on Wednesdays and Fridays. And it's, it's a great business. They do so much to support the community. We're doing another series uh, in, in early 2022, um, uh, where we're going to be visiting a lot of different uh, eating establishments in the area. And uh, uh, so you'll get to see them again. But if you ever get a chance to check them out, when we did our um, uh, Renaissance of Reconciliation Festival this past fall, they donated um, without in charges anything, a whole bunch of empanadas and salsa to go along with that to have uh, uh, a, a Latino, Latino flair for our, um, our, our Renaissance of Reconciliation Festival as well. So, um, so great times. We got a lot of stuff going on this month. I understand that we've got a movie poll going on right now. I don't know, is, do we have a, there are, yeah, that, well, that's not a very exciting slide, but there it is. Um, you know, just, just the QR code where you can scan that or you can go to the website and vote on your favorite Christmas movie. I was a little disappointed that Die Hard was not up for last week's. Uh, anybody else? Can I hear you? Has anybody? Put it in the comments. If, you're, if your favorite movie isn't listed, put it in the comments online. You know, I, I got to say, you know, that there's, there's a lot of great Christmas movies out there. It looks like right now Home Alone is in the lead for today, uh, for this week, and still no Die Hard. I, I, I don't understand. I'm going to have to lobby for Die Hard to get it up there going forward. So you can continue voting. I believe voting closes sometime tomorrow. Uh, vote early, vote often, as they say in Chicago, um, and uh, uh, make, uh, make your Christmas movie voice heard. Just another fun way to be celebrating Christmas with Garfield Memorial Church. Um, Speaking of celebrating Christmas, and even more than just fun, we had the second of our Christmas concerts yesterday at our South Euclid campus. It was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the choir sang, orchestra played, and uh, it was a benefit concert to raise money to help with uh, Afghan refugees, hundreds of whom are coming to the Cleveland area. I was really excited to learn that Cleveland is one of the six cities in the United States that it's a focus point for for resettle or for settling Afghan refugees. It takes $1,500 to, to equip an apartment for our Afghan refugee family. Yesterday alone, just through the basket offering, we didn't get a chance yet to tally up the digital giving, but yesterday alone, over $6,500 was given, which is, yeah which uh, it, it puts our, our, our subtotal, again, we haven't added the electronic giving from yesterday, but even before that puts us around the $17,000 mark total for, for blessing and helping um, refugees. Jesus and his family were refugees, fleeing violence in their country. They fled to Egypt and, uh, and were refugees there, and they were supported by the gifts while they, were, while they were living in that foreign country. They were supported by the gifts of the wise men, the kings that came to see them. Uh, kings from the east, we don't know exactly where, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it kind of tickled me yesterday to think that maybe one or more of those kings was from Afghanistan. And uh, they came and gave donations and gifts to our Lord, uh, who, who used those to survive when he was a stranger in a strange land, a refugee fleeing violence, going to another country. And now we, as followers of Jesus, have the opportunity to give gifts, to bless 
people from the east coming in need of asylum and safety. So, uh, so it's a great thing. If you, still, if you haven't given yet, or if you've already given and want to give more, you can do that online. Go to garfieldchurch.org, go to the giving page, and click the Afghan uh, Refugee Fund, and you can give to support that as well. Uh, the other thing we're doing as we continue to celebrate Dia de los Tres Reyes throughout the month of December is uh, to do what the kings did. They looked up. They didn't, they didn't have their noses to the grindstone. They weren't weighed down by all the burdens. I'm sure there were burdens and struggles. I mean, they were on a long journey, and a long journey then would have even been even tougher than a long journey today. And, uh, and yet they didn't, they didn't walk weighed down by sorrows and anxiety. They looked up. And they saw that star and they were able to follow it to their Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. They, they, they looked up and they gave. They gave. You, it's, we make no uh, secret of the fact that December is the biggest giving month for Garfield Memorial Church. About 30% of our budget comes in. And this is not about giving for institutional survival. This is not about me up here trying to twist anybody's arm, whether you're here or watching online, uh, twisting anybody's arm to give more. It's a, it's a recognition that these gifts that we receive are what fuel and fund the mission and the ministry of the church throughout the year. So, so please, as you're celebrating Christmas and so many other ways in Dia de los Tres Reyes that, that you, you follow the example of the wise men, the magi, look up and give in Jesus' name. And uh, speaking of all of that, we are talking about kings leading up to Christmas here and, and uh, kings who got it right and kings who got it wrong. And today we're going to take a good hard look at two kings who got it wrong. But before we do that, let's look at some kings who got it right. Those kings that came to Bethlehem when Jesus was there and his family were there and they bowed down to him. You, you probably know the story. If you don't, you can find it in Matthew chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but these, these magi, these wise men, the kings from the east, we don't know exactly how many they were. We don't, we don't know exactly where they came from, but we do know that by the practice of their science and their arts, they saw a star. They discerned that that meant the birth of a king that was not just an ordinary king, but a king of kings. And they traveled to Israel, to a foreign country. They couldn't find him at first. They went to the capital, Jerusalem. They consulted with the king there, a bad idea, and found out from Herod that the prophecy said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem, and this is where I want to pick up the story as we read here this morning. Let's look at that scripture. There we go. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, a couple of things here couple of things, just so we know, because there's some confusion. We've pointed out earlier that, uh, that for folks who celebrate Dia de los Tres Reyes, they don't put the, the magi, the wise men, the kings in the nativity set until after Christmas. And the reason for that is in this story, they, oh, it went away. Where'd he, oh, it's up here, somewhere. All right, the three kings, they went into a house. They didn't go to a stable. Jesus was born in a stable, and uh, that's where the, the shepherds came to celebrate his birth. By the time the Magi got there, Jesus and his family were in a house. And, and it says uh, they saw the child, and that's a Greek word that means child, not they have a separate word for infant. So Jesus is a little older now. He's a little past that first Christmas night. Um, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Um, all right, I know some of you out there are going, uh, Pastor Scott, that's a French word. It's pronounced homage. I'm not French. 
I'm Appalachian, I say homage, homage. There we go. Which just means they bowed down to him. I'm gonna come back in a minute. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, these, these kings, they got it right. And what did they do? They knelt down, they bowed down to Jesus. That, that phrase, knelt and paid him homage. Literally in the Greek, it's knelt and bowed down. The word for bowed down is proskuneu, and I'm gonna act it out because we need to see this. The first word is knelt, and that just means what you think it means. It means knelt. Um, the second word, proskuneu, means literally to bow down and kiss the ground before a king or an emperor, or a queen. I'm not gonna kiss this floor because I don't know where my shoes have been. Actually, I do, I was just in the bathroom before coming out here, so. (laughs) Not gonna kiss the floor. But the kings did. They bowed down to Jesus. They did obeisance to him. It was a ritual action that was being described that when you encountered a king, a queen, a monarch, and you said, you are my king, you are my queen, you are my emperor, I give authority and loyalty to you, this is what the Magi did. They bowed down to Jesus. It was the right thing to do. It was the good thing to do. They recognized that he was more than just an ordinary king. He was the king of kings. And they gave gifts to him rather than seeking something from him. These three kings, they got it right. Let's take a look at a couple of kings who got it wrong. The first one is David. Now, David got a lot of things right. David was called in the scripture a man after God's own heart. When uh, God himself, Yahweh himself, selected David to be king over Israel, he gave the throne to David. He gave him authority and honor and glory and power and wealth and prestige and status. And David still got it wrong. One of the things I love about our scripture is that it doesn't gloss over the failings of the, quote, heroes of the Bible. We get to see them in in all of their glory and in all of their failures, all of their, their beauty and all of their tragic ugliness. And, and, you know, if you ever think, oh, I could never be like King David. Yeah, you can. <laughs> he screwed up a lot. You can do that. Come on, we can do that. David screwed up. He screwed up. He, he murdered someone. Well, but it started before that. You see, David, who had grown, you know, happy and pleased and comfortable in his wealth and his privilege and his status, he sent his army off to war and he looked out the window of his palace one day and he saw a young woman bathing. And he knew who it was, it was Bathsheba. It was the wife of his friend and his loyal servant, Uriah the Hittite. And and the Bible over and over refers to not just Uriah, but Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was a foreigner in Israel. He was a refugee of sorts. And David is condemned by Yahweh specifically and explicitly for doing wrong to this foreigner, this resident sojourner refugee in his land. He saw Bathsheba. And he desired her, he craved her, and he took her, and he got her pregnant. And then he brought Uriah back and tried to get him to pass it off and and make like the baby was his, but Uriah wasn't playing that game. And so David, to deal with the problem, just had Uriah killed. And then he married Bathsheba. He got it wrong. 
he got it wrong. This is what the Bible says. I'm going to read a little longer scripture here than I read earlier. And, and uh, yeah, let's pop that next one up. I'm going to see if I can read it off the, uh, well, we'll get to that. I'm sorry. I didn't put the whole thing up there. I forgot about that. Let me start over. I'm going to start a little earlier than that scripture. We'll get to that one in a second. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men and Nathan was a prophet. His job was to tell David that he'd screwed up and God was ticked off with him. He came to him and he said, there were two men in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought. And he brought it up and he grew it up with him and with his children he used to eat of its meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was loath to take one of his own flock or the herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared for that guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He will restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house for you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife thus says the Lord I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house you see those kings those three kings that came to visit Jesus they bowed down to Jesus David bowed down to his own cravings David saw someone and he wanted her and he took her. And we have no idea Bathsheba's level of consent in all of this. The Bible doesn't tell us. But David saw someone, he wanted them, he took them. And when even a close friend of his got in the way of that, David just had him killed because he bowed down to his own cravings and made himself God. He was serving not Yahweh, but his own desires. And as a result, his own family was torn apart by violence. The first child of that union between David and Bathsheba died as an infant. The second child was Solomon, the man who became heir to David, to his kingdom, and was also part of the lineage and ancestry of Jesus, as was Bathsheba, one of the few women mentioned as part of Jesus' ancestry, Bathsheba was. Solomon was born. Solomon is another king who got it wrong. And like David, there was a lot of good that Solomon did. Solomon did a lot of things right, but he did some things wrong too. David expanded the, Israel, the Israeli empire by war and by conquest. Solomon expanded it by marriage. He married queen and princess after queen. He had, he had hundreds of wives and concubines. And, and you know, we got to say the Bible never condemns Solomon for having multiple wives. 
But the Bible does condemn. God explicitly condemned Solomon because out of love for his wives, and it's, it's important, the Bible is very clear, it was out of love for his wives that Solomon began worshiping other gods so he could secure his relationship with them. He was anxious about his relationship with these women that he loved. And to find security, he sought that security in other powers than God. I wanna read you a part of that scripture as well. For when Solomon was old, his wives, whom he clung to in love, turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not completely follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who offered incense and sacrifice to their gods. Then the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this matter that he should not follow other gods but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your mind and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. I wanna note a couple of things. First of all, again, that this happened this happened. Solomon's turning away from God and after other gods was because of love that he had. And the Bible doesn't condemn him for the love. The Hebrew word that's used is ahab, and, and it, it, it translates literally to love. And it's the same word that's used in the Bible when it talks about Abraham loving his son Isaac, and Isaac loving his son um, Esau, and, and Rebekah loving her son Jacob. It's at times talked about God loving his people and God's people loving God. There was nothing wrong, the Bible says, with Solomon loving his wives. The problem was that he turned to other powers to secure those relationships. And that's the second. I want us to look at the word there. The word in, in the Hebrew Bible is, is Elohim. And, and you might have heard or learned somewhere along the way that that word Elohim means God. And it does. It's often translated as God and reference to the God. But it's also the same word used for other gods. Elohim, it literally means power. Power. You see, Solomon in his insecurity was turning to other powers to find security. Security in his relationships, security for whatever. Many of these gods were, were powers over various natural forces, whether it was, was powers over war, or powers over harvest, or powers over fertility, or powers over whatever. Rather than turning to the power, God himself, Solomon was playing the buffet game. A little bit of Chemosh, a little bit of Astarte, a little bit of Molech, a little bit of Yahweh. Might as well cover all the bases and appeal to all of these powers and secure my relationship with these women that I love. So Solomon, Solomon in insecurity, out of insecurity, bowed to powers other than Yahweh. 
He trusted these powers to get a good relationship with those whom he loved. And as a result, leadership was taken away from him, taken away from his family, and an entire nation was torn apart in war. The generation of kings immediately following Solomon ripped the country of nation of Israel apart. It has never reached the same geographic size it had under Solomon's rule and it immediately fell apart because Solomon got it wrong when he turned to powers other than God, the God, Yahweh, for security. There is another king who got it right, the king of kings, Jesus himself. Jesus was given the opportunity to do exactly what David did and exactly what Solomon did. When he was tempted, he was taken out in the wilderness, led by the Spirit out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And one of the temptations that the devil put in front of him was this. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give if you will fall down and worship me. That phrase, fall down and worship, it's translated differently in the English, but it's the same phrase used of the Magi. Kneel down and pay homage to. It's the same Greek words translated into different English words for a variety of reasons. Satan was inviting Jesus to do to him what the wise men had done to Jesus, kneel down and pay him homage. Recognize him as the king and the authority. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship, there's that word, it means it's proskuneo over there, proskuneo there, proskuneo back when the, the uh, magi were paying homage to Jesus, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus got it right. But it, what, he didn't just get it right in an abstract sense of worshiping God. He got it right in his relationship to others. Where David got it wrong, Jesus got it right. You see, David put his needs, his desires, his cravings ahead of everyone else. Ahead of Bathsheba's, ahead of his friend Uriah the Hittite, ahead of his whole family. He said, I want what I want and I'm going to get it. Jesus placed the needs and concerns of others ahead of his own. He gave like the Magi, Jesus gave without seeking to get. That's why Paul said this in Philippians, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, instead of serving and bowing down to his cravings, Jesus bowed down to us. Do you remember that story? The night before Jesus was dying for us, he bowed down before his disciples. Now, it wasn't the same bow down. It wasn't the, he wasn't paying homage to them, but he knelt and he washed their feet doing the work of the lowest servant, the lowest slave in the household. 
putting their needs ahead of his own. When he was hanging on the cross and he could have called those 10,000 angels to set him free, he prayed, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. He put the needs, our need for forgiveness, ahead of his own life. Jesus got it right. Jesus bowed down to and served only Yahweh. And as a result, Yahweh lifted him up above all of us. And one day, one day, everyone, everyone, the Bible says, Paul said in that passage, in the verses right after the one I just read, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That leads us to our question, not just for today, but really for every day. Who will you bow down to? We all bow to something. We all bow to someone. Do we bow down to our own cravings? God, I just want it. I want it because I want it. And I've got the power to take it. I've got the freedom to take it. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to do it. Because I want to. Cravings are one of those things that can destroy us so easily and so quickly. That when we put our life and our hope and our comfort and our purpose in satisfying our longings, our cravings, Families are wrecked because of that. Sometimes people blame it on the alcohol. Sometimes people blame it on the drugs. Sometimes people blame it on the porn. Sometimes people blame it on the gambling. Sometimes people blame it on the work. Sometimes people blame it on the neighbor. But at the end of the day, it's about our cravings. When I say that what I crave is more important than those other things and I'm going to get it no matter what it costs, when we do that, we make ourselves God and just as David's family is torn apart, so are our families. Or maybe it's not our cravings. Maybe we reign in our cravings, but we're just, we're looking for that power anywhere we can find it. Sure, we don't have altars to Estarte and Chemosh in our backyards. At least I'm guessing you don't. Probably no one online does either. I don't even know what Chemosh looks like. I can't really build an idol of Chemosh. But we all know that there are other powers in this world besides God. A couple weeks ago, I talked about money. And wealth is a power that we often bow down to, that we seek the power of wealth to secure our futures. There are other powers, powers of approval. If I can just get, there's power in that, isn't it? If people approve of me, power of popularity, anyone in middle school knows the power of popularity and the relative misery when you don't have that power. The power of beauty the power of fame, the power of straight-up political power, things that we turn to to secure our hope, our comfort, our relationships, the power of violence. I'll, I'll, I'll kill whoever I need to kill to protect my family. Are we turning 
maybe to a power other than God to protect those we love. And if we do that, aren't we putting ourselves in the same position as Solomon? where all that we hope to protect will one day be torn apart by those very powers that we turn to? Who will we bow down to? My hope, my prayer, is that we will follow the example of those three kings and that we will bow down to Jesus. That we will, and not, you know, it's good that we sing songs of praise to God. It's good that we pray to God. But have we made obeisance to God? Have we bowed down to him and said, you are my king. My loyalty belongs to you. My service belongs to you. My life belongs to you. I will follow you. I will obey you. I will be your loyal friend and companion on this journey. Have we done that? Because that doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. I'm not sure it really can happen on Sunday morning. I think that's a Monday through Saturday kind of worship. When we bow down before God day to day, moment to moment, and say, Jesus, whatever you want of me, I'll serve, I will follow. Wrapping up here, I... I gotta say, you know, I, we say, and it's true, the, the wise men they gave, it wasn't a gift exchange. It wasn't. Yet it's also true that, that we can never outgive Jesus. No matter how much love we give him, he's given us more already. No matter how much faithfulness we give him, he's already been more faithful to us. No matter, no matter how much service we give him, he's already served us more. And it's not a competition. It's just that he's God. He's the third, second person of the Trinity. He's, he's God in human form, and he gave up everything for us. We cannot outgive God. We cannot outgive Jesus. There's no way we can give ourselves to Jesus without getting more in return. But when we go to Jesus, we, we can't go looking to turn him into Santa Claus or, or a genie in a bottle or even the three kings who bring us gifts. We go to Jesus, we offer him ourselves and say, Jesus, whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want it. And the good news is, we'll, well, this isn't the good news. I did that phrasing wrong. The reality is, we'll never be able to keep that, not perfectly. David didn't, Solomon didn't, and yet Jesus was still proud to include them as part of his lineage. He still said, they're my people, they're my family. I know they messed it up, I know they screwed it up, I know they didn't get it right, that's why I'm here to take care of all of that and he does the same for us. We won't get it perfectly. But Jesus has already offered us the forgiveness for everything we've ever screwed up and everything you're ever gonna screw up. His blood covers it. And so we can bow down to him with total confidence, not in our ability to be perfect followers of Jesus, but in his love and mercy and grace. 
And day to day, we can take those steps of following him, looking for ways to bow down, looking for ways to humble ourselves, looking for ways to love others in his name, looking for ways to put others' needs ahead of our own, looking for ways to turn continually back to God to find all that we need. Who will you bow down to this Christmas, this day, every day for the rest of your life? I hope that it is Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.